Hello, Valley Christian Church. It's great to be here with all of you wonderful people today online at the Poughkeepsie campus. My name is Stephen Francis. I am the Poughkeepsie campus pastor, and I'm excited to be here today as I give you this one-off message. This is not a series, but this is just one message called Tempted. And we're going to go into a lot of deep stuff today. But before we do, I just want to tell you a little bit about myself. Um, Last month, I celebrated three years of marriage to my wonderful wife, Jasmine, beautiful wife, Jasmine. And I also celebrated three years of being a ordained pastor here at Valley Christian Church. Both of these things were dreams come true for me, but I have wanted to be a pastor since I was 15 years old. I'm 29 now, and I am living my best life, all right, with my wife, with the ministry that I have. And a lot of people, many times, they like to ask me uh, questions uh, about being a minister, what's the toughest part, what's something that is a motivator for you to be in this position. But the one question that people like to say, uh, or ask me rather, is what is the most interesting thing specifically about being a pastor? And I always love to joke around and tell them the most interesting thing about being a pastor that happens to me is when I tell other people that I'm a pastor. The reactions I get when I tell people that I'm a pastor have all types of reactions to it. I tell one person I'm a pastor and they look at me and they're like, why in the world would you ever want to do that? You make no money. There is nothing there for you. Just let Stephen Furtick or some other pastor do it. You don't need to do it. So I'm like, all right, whatever. I move on because I know my calling. So then there are times when I tell other people that I'm a pastor and they kind of treat it as a moment to confess all of their sins to me and sometimes not the most opportune moments. I had a haircut the other day and I told the person who was cutting my hair I was a pastor and my quick 30-minute haircut went into two hours of him telling me everything that happened in his life, wanting biblical advice on all of it. But I take it because I love what, what I do, and I like to show love to people. But the most crazy reaction that I ever got when I, was, uh, when I told somebody what I was a pastor was uh, a Black Friday, day after Thanksgiving, me and my wife were doing our Black Friday shopping. That's where you get all the best deals. And we're in Old Navy, and I'm in Old Navy. And if you've ever done Black Friday on Old Navy, it seems like everything is like pretty much free in there. So you got people with bags on bags of stuff, stuff that they don't even need, but it's like it's cheap, so I'm gonna take it. So I'm in that line with all of those things. I got way too much stuff. I'm supposed to be shopping for other people, but I'm going to be honest, 90% of that stuff was for me. But listen, I'm just going to be honest. So I'm standing in line with all of my stuff in this massive line that's going literally outside the store. And there is somebody standing behind me uh, that is also uh, with a bunch of stuff. So he starts talking to me and we start talking about pretty much regular guy stuff. We talk about movies, we talk about uh, sports, things of that nature. And it's a great conversation. I don't usually like doing that type of stuff with people uh, in public like that randomly, but this is like a really cool guy that I'm talking to. So then eventually he gets to the question and we're almost near the register for us to uh, pay out. But the guy asked me, so what do you do for a living? And I told him, oh, 
I'm a pastor at a place called Valley Christian Church. And I will not lie to you people here and online. The man ran out the line. He ran out the line as if I told him that I was the police and he was under arrest. He ran out the line. Like I said, I am the judgment of God here right now in this line. I've never seen somebody take off so fast out of fear in a line before, but that happened because I told him I was a pastor. Very odd moment, but one that I'll never forget. But the one that I definitely hold close to was before I ever became a pastor. See, before I became a pastor, I was working at uh, a Kroger in Atlanta, Georgia. And one of the coworkers that I had, there was a lady named Jordan, absolutely wonderful lady. And I told Jordan that I was going to quit my job in Atlanta because I was going to become a pastor in New York. And she could not get that concept at all. In fact, there were days when she would come to me and she said, hey, I know you want to uh, do that pastor job, but they're also hiring at Home Depot. Do you think that would be something you'd rather do? Like she just didn't understand why I would pick that career choice. But eventually I talked to her about faith and, and Jesus, and she said that she had a belief in Jesus and she believes that Jesus is Lord, but she can't really follow him. And that was interesting to me. And when I asked her, listen, if you believe all of these things, what is it that's keeping you from following Jesus? She told me that the thing that was keeping her from following Jesus was that Jesus takes her freedom away. And she loved the freedom that she had. I thought that was a very interesting thing because scripture tells me that who the son sets free is free indeed. Scripture tells me that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So I think Jesus enhances our life. He doesn't actually make our life harder. So I asked her this as a follow-up question. And, I, and the question was, if you were to meet Jesus today, if Jesus were to come down in this Kroger today, this grocery store, and ask you any question, what do you think his question would be? And her answer was, she would think that Jesus would ask, why don't you trust me? Why don't you trust me? And church, I think this is something that, depending on the season of my life, this might be something that Jesus would ask me too, even as a pastor. It might be something that Jesus would ask you in the season of your life that you're in. But the reason I want to bring this up is because many of us deal with some of the hardest temptations and the hardest temptations are the ones that tempt us to no longer think that we can actually trust in God. And when we can't trust in God, we end up doing our own thing to our own devices, living a lesser life than what God has prepared for us to live. So before we go any further, I think it's important that we have a standard definition of what I mean when I talk about temptations. So temptation, according to the dictionary, is a desire to do something, especially something wrong or unwise. And if you're following along in your Valley app notes, I want you to fill in the blanks with this, that temptation is typical and unavoidable. It is common and you cannot get rid of temptation. You cannot have a temptation-free life. And the thing about that is also this, is that temptations come in a variety of ways. You'll be tempted when you decide to go on a diet. Now, do I have anybody here that is on a diet currently in this room? Now, I don't know if it's just me, but have you ever had it where you decide to go on a diet and then all of a sudden every 
good food that you enjoy but can't eat on that diet suddenly is around you everywhere? Like buffalo chicken and ice cream is suddenly free wherever I go. But either way, the temptation is there. You can also have temptations where you say, you know what, I'm not going to spend as much money anymore. I'm going to make some more financial better uh, uh, decisions. And all of a sudden you go to the store and you find the perfect shoes or the perfect outfit, whatever it is, and it's on sale. So you think you are actually saving money, but you're still just spending more money and you get yourself in trouble. We all have a variety of temptations, and those are temptations that I wouldn't consider sinful, but can sometimes get us into trouble. But there's also temptations that come to us because something is happening on a deeper level. For instance, sometimes we eat not because we're hungry, but because we're trying to soothe the inner pain that's within us. We had a hard day at work, our relationships aren't going well, and all of a sudden we're eating a little bit more than we're used to. Sometimes we feel down on ourselves, we feel down on where we are in lives, in, in life, and suddenly we're shopping a little bit more on Amazon for some reason. It's just a way for us to soothe or to pacify something that's actually happening deeper underneath the surface. So we know that there's different varieties of temptations, and temptation is not a sin but the greatest sins come from temptation. And I asked myself as I was thinking about this, when it comes to temptations and the most dangerous temptations are the ones that make us question whether we can trust God, I also started to ask what would it take in order for me to trust God full-heartedly all the time? What would I have to do in life or what would God have to do for me for me to never question if God was good in my life, if God was working in my life? And I prayed to God about this because I love to have conversations with God. And God basically answered that there is nothing that he could ever do that could make me always fully trust in him. And I thought that was kind of a controversial answer, but then he brought my attention to the book of Genesis. For anyone that's not familiar with the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis uh, is the origin story of creation told from the perspective of God. So in Genesis, it says that God created the heavens and the earth and everything that he made was good. He made animals, plants, all of that. But his ultimate creation was making man and woman. He made human beings and he made them in the form of his image. We are the only thing in creation that possesses the image of God. That's a powerful thing. That's a beautiful thing. And God not only created human beings, but he created them to have authority. He created for them to have dominion. He created for them to live the best life, to be smaller versions of what God represented. The first man and woman was Adam and Eve, and they lived in this place called the Garden of Eden, which scripture says is a beautiful place that was filled with opportunity and everything. But God also gives them guidelines on how they're supposed to live their life. They're not supposed to, they're supposed to work while they're in the garden. They're supposed to um, be fruitful and multiply while they're in the garden. But also the most important guideline was this, that there was a particular tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they were not supposed to to eat. That was the only hard line rule that was in this time period. And God said, as long as you follow this, you will live. But once you break this rule, you will surely die. 
And the scripture goes on and it says that they followed this rule and they had a great relationship with God, that God literally walked with them physically on earth. They had everything that they could have ever imagined. But then later on, we see that a serpent comes and tempts Eve specifically and says this, did God really say that you weren't supposed to eat of this particular tree, the fruit of this particular tree? And Eve says, yeah, we're not supposed to eat it or touch it. And the serpent says that, I actually think God is holding out on you. I actually think he doesn't want you to be as good as you could be. And you should eat that fruit. End of the story. They eat the fruit. Sin comes into the world and we live in the place that we are today. But the thing about that story that captivated me when I read it again from this context was that Adam and Eve had every ounce of confidence in God's character and God's being that he was for them, that he loved them, that he wanted the best for them. Yet despite how good God was in their lives, they still questioned if he was holding out on them. They still wondered if God was really worth trusting wholeheartedly and they ended up making a decision falling to a temptation that brought death and destruction from it I think this is something that we see in our lives as well where we end up betraying what God has done for us because we think he's holding out on us only to find out no we actually did have the good deal but the thing I love about the story in Genesis and even the story in our lives is that just because we do something that changes our situation, God's character never changes. See, from the time of Genesis, God begins this redemption story. God begins to create uh, people and set them up in particular situations because his goal is to send somebody that could bring salvation to those that are in need. People like me, people like you. And he reminds throughout the scriptures his character throughout this. We see some of these verses, first Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. God tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Psalms 23, verse 1, King David says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Meaning, if I have God in my life, there is nothing that I am in lack of. He is my provider, he is my sustainer. Jeremiah 29, 11, a very famous verse, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now, these verses are for specific uh, times and periods, but they all show the character of God towards us. God is for us. God loves us. These are just three, four verses. But at the same time, there are so many verses in the scriptures that show God's character towards us, that he is someone that can be trusted, that he is someone that has our best interest, that he is somebody that despite the guidelines that sometimes we go against, that the guidelines are made for us to have our best life here on earth and then into eternity. But eventually the narrative continues. And God sends his son, Jesus Christ, in the form of a man to earth so that he could one day be the sacrifice for our sins. And it's in this moment of Jesus's life that we're about to dive into where we're going to be spending majority of our time. Because like I said before, 
Temptation is typical and unavoidable. And we see in these passages that Jesus was tempted. So if Jesus was tempted, and scripture also says that he had all manners of temptation, so also will we be tempted. But the question is, how do we respond then to temptation? And I believe Jesus gives us insight of that. So I want to set the scene first. Jesus at this time is 30 years old. He has not done anything that would be considered ministry yet. He's probably just been doing the carpenter thing that his uh, stepfather, Joseph, was doing. But then eventually he goes to get baptized and he gets baptized in the River Jordan. Now, back in this time, being baptized was a little bit different than what we do today. We get baptized because we reflect our lives with the life of Jesus Christ. But at this time period, the Jewish people were getting baptized because it was a symbol of them being cleansed by their sins in the hopes that the Messiah, the one true Messiah, would come sooner than expected. So they're all getting baptized, hoping for the Messiah to show up. And then Jesus actually shows up to get baptized. John the Baptist, who's Jesus' cousin, tells everyone that this is the Messiah. This is the person that we've been waiting for. This is the person that we have been expecting and we should be excited about. But to them, he probably came off unimpressive because he was just a normal guy. Scripture says that. There was nothing uh, aesthetically appealing about him. But we see this in Luke Chapter 3, starting at verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And he was praying, and, and as he was praying, excuse me, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is blessed in front of a multitude of people, showing that he is the son of God, that God loves him, that God is for him. And maybe we've never had an experience where God physically spoke from heaven on our behalf, but many of us can have trust that we are the people that God loves and is well pleased by, according to the scriptures, if we are in Jesus Christ, if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we also have times in our life where things just go well, where things just go our way. And we sense that the favor of the, Lord, of the Lord is upon us. I believe this is an experience that Jesus had that showed that the favor of the Lord was upon him. But the thing about this passage that gets me is that this is the verse right before Luke chapter 3 ends. And then when you go into Luke chapter 4, which we'll read here, we read this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. This is the part of the passage that I struggle with. Jesus, the Son of God, was shown to be blessed and highly favored only for the next verse for him to be blessed by God and now put in a painful place. What's tough for us is that we don't always know the cause of painful situations in our lives. Sometimes it's honestly our fault. We did things that brought negative results on ourselves. 
Sometimes it's someone else's wrongdoing that puts us in painful situations. And I think there's also room to believe that we just live in a broken world where bad things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people, and vice versa. But I also believe that there, yes, is times where there's a spiritual enemy that puts us in bad situations. But also, what do we do when it's God that puts us in painful situations? God shows favor and love towards us, but how do we react when we see that God is putting us somewhere that's painful, that's uncomfortable? Is it possible for us to still believe that God is good then? Can we be people that in the midst of some of the toughest situations, we can still trust in God's character? Because here's the situation. It doesn't matter what our circumstances, it doesn't matter what situation we're in. I want you to remember this, that whatever place in life that you're in, that God's character doesn't change. And that even though we're put in situations that might be hurtful, we can have confidence in this, that whatever stage in life that we're in, that with God, nothing is wasted, even if it's in the wilderness. So we see that Jesus was starving, that Jesus was hungry for 40 days. And uh, Matthew chapter 4 also tells the same story. And he says that he used that time of no food as a form of fasting. Now, many people believe um, that fasting is a, is a great practice. I'm one of those people that believe that fasting is a great practice. And that's something that a lot of people do today, but I don't think a lot of people fully know it. So just give me uh, just a moment just to explain that. Um, fasting is the statement that you are saying that you are putting off something that is good, something that is enjoyable, something that's even necessary for an extended period of time so that you can focus on spiritual revival and spiritual renewal. With this, we get this understanding. A lot of people fast in different ways. Certain people fast from food. Certain people do intermittent fasting. I do uh, different types of fasts. I usually do a fast in January for uh, 21 days where I don't eat particular foods. Or I'll do a fast where I, don't, I only eat one meal a day on one day a week. But the thing about these fasts is that it helps us to remember. You can fast from all different types of stuff. It doesn't have to be food. It could be technology. Whatever you think is a stronghold in your life but also necessary and it's you making the statement that yes food is great but God is better yes technology is necessary but God is the ultimate sufficient thing that I need in my life and when you have that when you have that understanding when you have that focus it makes it easier for you to say no to the other temptations that may come your way there's things that will come our way that is not necessarily a spiritual attack but it's us just having a lack of self-discipline. And fasting is a way where we can remember that God is what's ultimate in our lives and we should strive towards him. I've told this story before, but real briefly, I want to talk about one of the first times I got into the practice of fasting. I was enjoying fasting. I thought I was growing very uh, fast spiritually through fasting. So I decided that I was going to do a 10-day fast, but the first seven days of that fast was going to be absolutely no food at all. 
It was only water, variations of tea, but there was no actual food. And by the time that I finished this fast, not only was I an extremely angry person, but I was also 10 pounds lighter just because of seven days of no food. I don't even think keto diets are that good. So I grow a pause when I think about if I managed to lose 10 pounds in only seven days because I didn't have any food, what would somebody look like if they had 40 days of no food? Would their organs even function properly if they had no food for 40 days? That's somebody that would need to be hospitalized. That's somebody that would need to be, uh, that, that would need expert care in order to continue on. So I can't even imagine the state of Jesus' mind and body as he is now 40 days with no food. But then we see this as we continue on. The devil approaches Jesus and he says this, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. This seems like a pretty, I would say, easy solution to Jesus's problem. If I had the ability to turn stones into bread and I was fasting for 40 days, you better believe I would have turned that stones into red lobster cheddar biscuits in addition to the Olive Garden breadsticks because those are also delicious. But Jesus doesn't do that. This is one of the first things that I want you guys to remember because I believe that there's three major categories by which many of us fall into temptations of sin. And the first one is temptation from pain. I think it's interesting that the devil says this in Luke chapter 4, verse 3 again. He says, if you are the son of God, if you are truly blessed, if you are truly loved by him, why are you suffering? Why are you in pain? You have a solution to your problem right here. Turn these stones into bread so you don't die of hunger right here in front of me. But the problem with this temptation is that Satan is tempting Jesus to deal with pain outside of God's will and timing. Satan's temptation to avoid pain in this moment is immediate and illicit consolation. And this is something where I'm, I can only lean on Jesus to because I have been the person where too many times because life was too painful, because life was too stressful, I leaned on other things to soothe my pain because I thought God was taking too long. But I also find encouragement in this. And that Jesus not only said no, but Jesus managed to quote scripture back at Satan saying this. And it's not in your notes, but he says this, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 
I think that this is important to see here because Jesus was denying himself by fasting. He was saying, you know what? I don't have food, but God is better. He was denying himself. But when the devil came towards him to deny him, Jesus managed to deny Satan with God's word. I also can't help but think that it's interesting that Jesus managed to deny Satan when he's hungry. Adam and Eve managed to fall into Satan's trap and they were full. They had everything but still fell into the trap of Satan. Jesus having nothing was able to fight against Satan. But the temptation is not done here. And I think that this is something when it comes to pain that many of us do a lot of tough things. I do need to mention this because a lot of us end up dating out of pain. We don't want to be alone anymore. We don't want to feel like we are uh, by ourselves. So we end up dating people that we know we shouldn't be dating. A big thing in our culture right now is the use of pornography. And a lot of people don't realize this, but pornography is usually a response to pain. Sometimes the things that we do, the amount of uh, the substances we take, the, the, the places that we go, it's not what we see on the surface that's the issue, but it's something hurting underneath that is causing us to react this way. But we go on. The next temptation we see in Matthew chapter 4, verse 5 to 7. Then the devil took him to a holy city, and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. He says this, that if you are the son of God, once again questioning if, God, if Jesus was who God says he was, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him and says, it is also written, do not put your Lord, your God, to the test. Jesus again fights back with scripture, but I want to go into what exactly is happening here. Scripture shows that in this time period, this temple that we're looking at, that is being mentioned, is one of the highest points in the city of Jerusalem. And that if Jesus were to have fallen off of this temple and to be captured by angels, everyone in Jerusalem would have sought. This was a temptation for Jesus to become an instant celebrity. If Jesus had jumped and God protected him, he would have been instantly elevated to rock star status. He would have been the cool new rabbi, amazing to be around. He would have been celebrated. And this is the thing that gets to me. And this is also the next point in our notes, I think that there is a temptation of popularity. Many people cater towards popularity. And in order to remain popular, you must also continue to do what is enjoyable to the population. Jesus was for people, but he was also about his father's business. And we'll be tempted to participate in things we shouldn't or be silent when we should speak up because to do so would be opposing to us remaining popular for us to continue status. 
And what I love about this is that right now Jesus is nobody, but Jesus eventually becomes one of the most influential people in the history of the known world. But he didn't do that because he was trying to be popular. And I see this often so many times, especially in the social media age where people will post pictures of themselves in particular ways because they get more likes on their images when they do so. People will spend money for particular items because if they have those things, then it will cause for them to have more of an appeal towards others. And we end up losing ourselves in trying to continue to have this level of fame or popularity that could be damaging. But then we make it to the third and final temptation. Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This last temptation is the temptation of power. This would have been the temptation to end all temptations. This was the shortcut to achieve the goal that Jesus had set out. It would have been as close to heaven on earth as you could have imagined. What the devil is basically saying is that the devil has authority over the earth in the sense of his influence, in the sense of his level of temptations. He tempts people to do things in the entertainment industry, in the government industry, in every uh, circle of life, in every sphere of influence that there is. He makes influence, and because of that, we see so much corruption and so much crime and hurt in this world that we live in. And what the devil is saying to Jesus is that if he bows down and worships him, if Jesus bows down and worships Satan in this moment, the devil will stop tempting in all of these arenas. And think about what Jesus is giving up here. If Jesus were to have done this, there would be no more crime. If Jesus were to have done this, wars would cease. If Jesus were to have done this, people that deal with so much addictions and abuses would be free from those things. But also there would have been no forgiveness of sins. And it would have been a cop out to what Jesus was ultimately there to do. So Jesus rebukes Satan again with the word of God. And Satan goes away. And Jesus is comforted by angels. Stuart McAllister, one of the most influential missionaries today, said this about the church, that according to recent data, Christians are in the era of persecution. More Christians are being persecuted and killed for their faith than any other time in history. But we as Americans have no idea about this because this just does not happen here in this country. But Stuart McAllister said this, that still, despite the persecution and the hardship experienced all over the world, the hardest place to live for Christ is the United States. Because it's not persecution in the United States that the devil uses. It's seduction. We can have anything we want in this country, and when we hear no, it is usually offensive. 
So we end up getting tempted instead of trusting in God to be the source by which we have influence and authority. We end up taking the shortcut and we will settle and do some of the most horrific of things to people. And let me say this as well, that the temptation of power is not just someone seeking power, but what somebody does with their power. We had the Me Too series uh, back in February, and there are so many cases in that time where people did horrible things because of the temptations they had to use their power in sinful, horrible ways. But the thing about this is, is not only did Jesus say no to all of these things, but what I think is so powerful is that Jesus managed to say no without God intervening. God spoke from heaven when Jesus was baptized, and while Jesus was in the toughest season of his life, hear what I'm saying, Jesus' toughest day was when he died on the cross, when he was arrested and died, but the toughest season of his life was this time in the wilderness, and Jesus managed to make it through this entire time in the wilderness without hearing God's voice once. And he wasn't relying on God to do something to show him that God was still good. He had to just rely on the words that God had already said regarding his goodness. Regarding his power. And I think that that's the thing that we need to understand as well. So in the final moments, I want to let you know of three ways that I believe that we can overcome temptations that lead us to not trust in God. The first is that you got to get to know his word. Church, put simply, if you don't know his word, you do not stand a chance against temptations from the enemy. If you don't know God's word, then someone can tell you whatever they want about who God is and you will believe it because you don't know him for yourself. One of my favorite songs growing up when I was a kid, and I still hold on to it today, I don't sing it, I can't sing, is the song that goes, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And I find encouragement from that song, even though it's made for children, because it reminds me that Jesus loves me, not because of my circumstances, not because of my bank account, not because of my job status. Jesus loves me because he told me he loves me, and his character never changes. His word never fades. We need to know his word. Second, we need to practice spiritual fasting. And like I mentioned before, you don't have to fast from food. You can fast from technology or something else that you think is important. But I think if we as the church, if we as the body of Christ took time to fast more often, we would be shocked at where we would grow and where we would be spiritually, especially when it came to temptation. It's easy when I'm able to say no to certain foods because I believe God is better than foods that I'll also be able to say no to certain temptations because I believe God is better than those temptations. But the last thing we need and put simply, the third, is get help. Church, there's certain things that you won't be able to overcome on your own. There's certain things that Unless you're in community, unless you're with the body of Christ, unless you have a professional counselor, you're going to remain stuck in those temptations and it will rule you. 
but I believe through the power of Jesus and how Jesus works in the lives of those that believe you can have victory today in Jesus name. Would you bow your heads down? Let us pray. I want to pray this prayer first for every person in here that struggles with temptation, which is everybody. But second, for the person in here today that says, you know what, the temptations and the sins in my life has been too much and I need to accept Jesus into my life. Because if Jesus can withstand the enemy, then I know I need Jesus in my life so I can withstand. Him. So first prayer, God, I thank you for all these wonderful people. I thank you that you love them. And God, I pray, Lord, that today that you give them your word, that you move through your spirit in such a way that not only do they cling to your word, but it will be like a sword, like your word says, living and active in their lives. And that, God, that they will be able to overcome the temptations, the temptations that they feel, Lord, is just permanent now. The sins in their life that they just feel is inescapable or even necessary. I pray, Lord, that today we are bold enough to believe that you are good and that to live a life for you, to live a life with the guidelines that you have set will be, Father, the best life that we could ever live. Father, we thank you and we believe for this to be done. And, God, I pray for every person in here that has not received Jesus. And if you are one of those people today, I want you to repeat these words after me. These words that we are going to say to the Father is for you, for him. Dear Jesus, please come into my life. I want to trust in you instead of fall to temptations. I believe that Jesus is Lord that you died on the cross for my sins and that a life with you is better than anything else. In Jesus' name.